Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, well, welcome. This is Mike Diebler, and welcome to the OCR Underground Show, your number one resource for OCR training tips and strategies. As always, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, if you want to check out the show notes for this episode, head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 63. This episode is brought to you by Venga CBD. Uh, Venga CBD makes CBD products specifically with the endurance athlete in mind and i actually want to let you guys know about a really cool giveaway they're doing right now you can win uh two free entries into the colorado rockies ultra beast and sprint weekend coming up this august um all you have to do is head on over to the website vengaendurance.com spartan i'll put a link in the show notes as well for you guys uh and enter to win two free spots to the event as well as that they're also giving away uh, a free jar of a thousand milligrams of Venga CBD recovery balm. Uh, so I have been using their products and I, I have to admit they've been uh, working really well. Uh, in a couple episodes when I interviewed them, uh, the CEO, about uh, how we can use this specifically for OCR training, uh, one of the things we talked about was kind of dealing with anxiety. And I recently was at the Minnesota Sprint uh, not too long ago. And one thing I always deal with is kind of those pre-race jitters where I just get in my head a little bit. I always have a slow start and I have to pick it up at the end uh, to, to finish well. And uh, so I wanted to play around with it. I took a few capsules before the race and um, I have to say it made a big difference. I was ready to go right from the start. It was my fastest start for sure and actually my best finish of the year. So just my own personal experience with it. So if you want to check out any other products, Go to vengacbd.com slash OCR underground. And remember, you can use code OCR underground to get 15% off of your purchase. Well, with my last race being over, I am in a little bit of a break uh, and don't have any races coming up for a little while, which is perfect timing. I'm about to head out on a two-week vacation, so I want to get this episode out as quickly as I could. So no interview this week. You're just going to have lots of me talking about all things OCR training. Uh, so in this episode, in the Inside Mike's Mind segment, we're going to talk about training on obstacles. This is such a big topic that um, I see posted online or I get questions about on how often should you be training on obstacles? Should you be training on obstacles? And I just want to give some of my thoughts on uh, on uh, that topic there. And in our research review, we're going to talk about stretching. This is a topic that I, I bring up a lot on the podcast and I will continue to bring up because I think there's so many misconceptions and we're going to talk about static stretching and kind of um, debunk some of the uh, myths going around with with static stretching because it kind of has that uh, idea that it's it's just not good for you or it's bad or it, whatever it might be. But I just want to talk about some research that shows what static stretching could potentially do for you. And then in our main talk, I am going to talk about how you measure success and how are you getting better. And we're going to talk all about uh, assessments and progress and knowing is your training actually getting you better or are you just kind of going with the flow and just doing your workouts and then moving on and really never knowing if you get any better. So uh, that's what we have going on today. So let's get into this episode.
All right, so let's talk about training on obstacles. So we're doing obstacle course racing, so obviously we need to be practicing on some of these obstacles. But uh, some of my thoughts on this are people tend to go overboard on this. And a lot of people jump right into the obstacles before they're probably really ready to be training on something like this. So let's start off with something like uh, monkey bars, for example. So you know monkey bars are coming in the in the race and you have trouble with them you want to practice them so there's a couple things first we should kind of see should you be doing something like that right now so let's say you can't hang for 30 seconds or so from a bar there's probably a good chance you're not going to be very successful on the monkey bars if you can at least do that now i'm not saying you you shouldn't do the monkey bars and stay away from them but keep that in mind that you you may not have that base level strength and i think strength goes um uh, underestimated i guess the is the, the main thing there that people don't realize that you need to be strong in order to do a lot of these obstacles and you can practice all the technique in the world but if you just don't have the strength it's not going to matter so i don't think this is a have to do one thing and then do the other but i think strength has to come first so that should be your main priority if you aren't strong and i know that's kind of a general thing and hard to define we'll talk a little bit about what strong means later in this episode but for now, we just need that base level of strength that we can do things. So if you have trouble doing a single pull-up, um, that is a great goal to start working on. And once you can do a pull-up, we know, okay, you have some decent upper body grip and strength and core strength uh, to be able to do something like that. So there's a good chance you have what it takes already to do that obstacle, like the monkey bars. Maybe you just don't know how to do it. So now this is where training on obstacles becomes really important for you. We have that strength. We know you can do this. You just don't know how to do it yet. So now let's start practicing. So that's kind of the approach I really like to take is let's get strong for whatever comes our way. Because a lot of times what we forget is what if a new obstacle comes up? So if you've never practiced on it, you've never seen it before, are you just going to give up and not even try? Like you want to just be strong enough for anything that comes your way. So, and that's not just upper body. Sure. Lots of the obstacles that a lot of people struggle with are some of these hanging obstacles. So that's something that, yeah, the, the stronger you are there, the more likely you can get through some of these obstacles. But a lot of times when I see an obstacle, I may not get through it the prettiest, but I know I'm going to get through just because I have the strength, I have the coordination, and I can just figure it out to get through for the most part. Um, then once I see it, now it's like, okay, I can develop a strategy and practice it. Um, but if I don't have that underlying strength, now I'm just not going to have a very good chance of getting through and I'm more likely to hurt myself. So that's one of the main things there. So are you strong enough to be trying these obstacles? Uh, another big thing that, and I don't want to sound harsh with this, but are you overweight? Because if you are carrying extra weight, that is going to make all of these obstacles a lot harder. So you can be trying like crazy to get the right strategy down to climb a rope to do these monkey bars. But if you could lose 5, 10, 15, whatever pounds, that should now be our priority. Because the more you lose, the more you're going to be able to get through these obstacles with ease. So again, it's hard to get everything all at once. And I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but start picking priorities. If, if we need to lose weight, then let's put all of our energy, all of our effort into that, 
right? Um, if it is specifically training on obstacles, okay, now let's spend more time on that. But I think let's get the big stuff out of the way. Are you at a good race weight? And I'm not going to say what weight that should be, but it's just something you feel comfortable with for, for racing, for your everyday life. Uh, or if you feel that you should be losing weight, then that's another topic. And we should be focusing on a lot of the things that will will go that route. And obviously, training for an obstacle course race could be a part of uh, a weight loss program. So uh, keep those priorities straight keep those strength gains coming because that's only going to help you get through. So now let's say that, okay, I'm, I'm at a healthy weight. I have some decent strength. I should be getting, getting through these obstacles. So I should be training every day, right? For, for these uh, obstacles. And um, if you've listened to me before, you, you probably know what I'm going to say, but I think this is a, a, a thin line that we're going to walk down. I personally like the once a week specific training for obstacles, um, I'm sure there's people that will disagree with that, but I think once a week is, is good enough to get practice on those obstacles, but not so much that we're not going to recover and I'm more likely to hurt myself. And I've just seen this over and over when somebody's just, they can't get a rope, they can't get the monkey bars, the rig, whatever it is, and they just hit it hard and they do it multiple days a week and they keep trying, keep trying. And next thing you know, their elbow is killing them because they developed elbow tendonitis or something along those lines. And I've been there myself. We got When we first got a pegboard at my studio, I couldn't get across it. And it was just driving me crazy and I wanted to do it. And I eventually made it. But at the cost of, I can't do this for three months because my elbow is just destroyed right now because I just overdid it. So there's one thing with uh, deliberate practice where you might just try something once for like a minute and then walk away from it, do something, and then maybe come back to it later. But the important thing is something like that, if you just want a little bit more exposure to do this more often, we're talking not to fatigue, short duration, just little um, touches of whatever that drill might be, but not a workout. It's just, I'm going to practice it, walk away, do something else, a couple hours later, try it again, something along those lines. That that might be beneficial doing it more often. But if we're talking about like a workout, I'm going to be practicing a lot, going to fatigue, whatever it might be. This is something I, I think we just should be careful with because so many injuries come up and this is typically where they they enter. So uh, my general recommendation is once a week. Sure, you could probably get away with two times a week. Uh, but again, it all comes down to where your weaknesses are. So if running is your weakness, I think you should be spending most of your energy focusing on improving your running and then a little bit less on strength and a little bit less on the obstacle specific. Again, they're in there, but the priority is running. If you're just not strong enough for the obstacles, then maybe the strength program is going to be your priority, then running, then the obstacles. Um, or if your running's pretty solid, you have pretty solid strength, okay, now maybe we can bump it up to two times a week or so, something along those lines to get a little bit more practice on those obstacles. So hopefully that all makes sense. But again, I've just seen so many injuries come up and it's usually because they hit the obstacles too hard and they're not strong enough or they're, they're not a good runner and they don't have all those repetitions there. So just Look at what your priorities are and really make sure your training reflects those things to, to see the most amount of progress there. All right, well, it is time for the research review. And as I mentioned, I want to talk about stretching. And I, I feel like I just have to keep coming out and saying this because somewhere along the line, stretching has 
really just gotten this bad connotation, specifically static stretching. Uh, so many are talking about uh, the acute responses to static stretching, and I think it's important that we look at both acute and chronic adaptations. And what I mean by that is acute meaning short term. So in a lot of these studies that show like static stretching will reduce power output, what they do in those studies is they hold a stretch of a muscle that you'll use in like a squat jump, for example, like a quad, and they will have you hold it for a minute or two and then immediately go jump, right? And so we can see acutely if you did, did that and then jumped, uh, it would reduce power output because you're inhibiting the muscle and then you're trying to ask it to contract as fast as possible and it doesn't have the same strength uh, or stretch reflex that it would if you didn't stretch it. And there is, uh, that uh, is pretty clear, um, but I think we take that and we just go too far with it because then it turns into, well, static stretching is bad. You should never do it before you work out. And I'm just not a believer of that because so many people that I see, me personally, and just a, a, a lot of people out there deal with mobility restrictions. And if you have a mobility restriction, you need to be addressing that. And I think static stretching is a great way to do that. Sure, there's other things. Foam rolling is a great way to assist in this process, but I still think we, we do want to lengthen the tissue at some point. And we can do dynamic, we can do PNF, there's all, all sorts of stretching, but I, do, I still think there is a time and place for static stretching. And when you look at those that are the most flexible people out there, like um, yogis and gymnast, uh, gymnasts, do they statically static stretch? Of course, all the time. And they're incredibly flexible. So we know static stretching works. It's I think a lot of people are just concerned, okay, it works, you get more mobility, but am I going to suffer from it? Well, there's uh, there was an interesting study done in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research that looked at strength training in particular. And it looked at stretching between sets versus not stretching between sets. And there are a number of studies that actually show static stretching uh, in conjunction with strength training could potentially uh, enhance goals when it's done chronically, meaning you do this over a long period of time. Acutely, we've already talked about those, but when we something that we do on a regular basis, it might actually increase. Now, many of these studies are animal-based studies, so our physiology, our physiology is not the same as the animals that are tested, but we can at least see some interesting things and it warrants the need for some of this research. Uh, so what they did in the study was they took a group of uh, specifically untrained individuals. So this is people that don't work out currently um, and haven't been working out, and they want to see what the effects of stretching in between sets of strength training would do. So they divided the group of individuals into two, two groups. Uh, they both did the same workout. They were training twice a week for eight weeks. They were doing uh, four sets of eight to 12 reps that they would progressively uh, increase the load when, when appropriate. When they were able to do more weight, they added more weight to whatever the lift might be. Um, they uh, the, the main difference of the group is one, group stretched during rest intervals. So they both rested for 90 seconds between sets. One of the groups stretched a static stretch of the muscle, the primary muscle that was being worked in that set for 30 seconds, all right? So they weren't doing any additional time. They just, during that rest, one group just did nothing. The other group did 30 seconds of a maximal hold static stretch. So for example, if they were doing a bench press, they statically stretched their pecs um, for 30 seconds in between sets. Uh, they measured max strength, max, and then they also looked at uh, muscle size. They wanted to see, did they get bigger over eight weeks? So uh, the results, so no crazy results in this. They basically found that both were effective. 
So there was no major difference in bench press or knee extensor uh, one rep max. So they both got stronger using this protocol. Uh, the other thing is muscle size. So there were some that uh, favored in the side of the stretching group, but for the most part, they both saw increases in muscle size. Now, I do think as a side note, eight weeks isn't that long of a time to train to see huge gains in muscle size. So I think if we saw a longer study, it'd be interesting to see if there were any more increases in muscle size because they were starting to make some extra gains in that stretching group, but not to a significant degree that the uh, researchers noted. Um, so what does all of this say? Basically, both are effective. And while it may or may not, again, the, it was inconclusive if one was necessarily better than the other. But the reason I, I'm bringing this up is to show you that this might be an appropriate training tactic that you use to stretch in between sets. Um, you know, the, the research to show that the theory behind this is that this stretching is actually going to invoke a anabolic response, which will help increase, increase muscle strength and size. That's at least what happens in animals, but it doesn't necessarily happen in humans. They just haven't studied it enough. Uh, but it's a, at least an interesting concept and something to take away. So really the main things that I want you to take away from this study are one, Static stretching is not a bad thing, and it might absolutely help in your training program. So something along these lines where you're actually stretching between sets, or maybe you're stretching as part of your warm-up. But I do think if you are limited in mobility, static stretching is probably something important for you to include in your training program. And I just want to kind of debunk that myth that, that static stretching is bad. It's, it's an important thing that we can use. You just have to be smart about how you use it. So if you're looking for max power output, don't stretch and then go try and jump as high as you can. But if your ankles are restricted and you free them up and then do a dynamic warm-up to prep your body to kind of bring everything back once you've stretched it and, and now can use this new range of motion, I bet you're going to jump higher than if you didn't stretch at all. So these are just important things to consider um, based on your unique situation. So couple things that I would, uh, the practical use of, of static stretching and this, what we see in this study. Uh, number one is a lot of times I use mobility drills like static stretching, although it could be other things. It's a great way to add kind of a speed bump in your training. What I mean by that is so many times when we take intensity as in conditioning and confuse it with strength, we're just trying to get through a workout as fast as possible. But if you're trying to get stronger, you need to slow down a little bit. You need to do a lift rest a little bit, do a lift. And sometimes that's boring, right? If you do a set of squats and then just have to sit there for a couple minutes, you get eager and want to go do something. Now you can do a, a super set of an unrelated exercise. So maybe you do push-ups or, or an upper body movement that's not going to interfere with your squat. And now we get, you know, we increase the density of your training and we get a little bit more done in less time. But even that, if, you, if you're just going back, squats, push-ups, squats, push-ups, and you're just getting that conditioning effect and you're really trying to get stronger, you may not see the, the most gains from that type of training. So what you can do is add a mobility drill that's going to assist with one of these or both of these lifts. So um, like they did in the study, they, they worked the pecs, they did a pec stretch. Now, if your pecs are really tight and you can't get full range of motion doing a bench press or doing a push-up, it's absolutely going to interfere with your training. You're going to start to develop compensations and things like that. So now we can increase range of motion, uh, which is a great 
a great piece to this this whole process and now get more effective training with that particular exercise so um one it it, it is that speed bump so now you you do an exercise and then you stretch so now you're being productive with your uh, rest time and you, but you are taking a rest and you're doing something and you don't feel like you're just bored sitting around waiting checking your phone um and like they did in the study and I, one of the main points they they made by the authors of the study was it didn't add any extra time to the workout they were just being more productive with the time they have so adding flexibility to a strength training program is a great way to to get both of those things done in a short period of time uh, so use it as adding a speed bump using it as enhancing mobili mobility and being efficient as possible with your workouts because we're busy. It's I can't spend two hours in a gym and get all of this done. But if I'm creative, I can get mobility work done. I can get strength. I can get power. I can get all these things done if you're just smart about how you put it all together. So uh, hopefully that helps give you some ideas. But I just recommend trying it out. Try a few lifts and see if you notice a difference. Sometimes we, we get stuck in our thoughts and uh, won't try new things just based on a few things that we've heard. And I'm, I'm just here to show that sometimes we're misled with uh, some of the information out there. And uh, until you try it yourself, you're not going to know. You know and if you might try it and say you don't like it and it didn't help, then uh, so be it. But at least you tried something and see if it was an effective tool for you to use. All right, so as I mentioned earlier, instead of an interview, today I want to talk about measuring your progress and, and assessing. So a lot of times we're just guessing if we're getting better, and really there's some simple things that we can do to monitor if we're actually getting better. And I think that's where a lot of training gets lost, is it gets so sucked into just training hard for the sake of training hard, and really our focus should be on the result that the training is getting us. And if we don't have some type of baseline, then it's really hard to know if the type of training we're doing is helping us getting better. So we could use race performance and just say, well, I came in top 20 last year and I was top 10 this year, or I improved in my time and whatever it might be. That's one way we can measure, but I think that's a, a, a broad spectrum way to measure because you don't really know, well, how did you get better? Did you run faster? Did you do the obstacles more efficiently? Did you do less burpees? Whatever it might be. But there's some simple measurements that we can take to really get an idea of are we getting better or kind of as I mentioned earlier in this episode, where should I be focusing, right? Should I be more focusing on running? Should I be more focusing on my grip? What, whatever it might be. So I figured for this episode, let's let's dive into assessing a little bit. Now, I think step number one is, you know, if you're not working out and, and doing nothing, you know, you could start with a ton of assessments or you can just start going, get the momentum rolling. Uh, you don't want your testing and assessing to um, be a barrier for you to start start any type of program. So if you're in that situation, just, just get going. And then once you feel comfortable and in your routine, then you can start measuring. But if you're ready to, to really track, track where you're starting from, then we can do a couple things. So I think uh, you can go crazy and you can measure every single little thing out there. And uh, it takes a lot of time, effort, and you'll probably do it once and never do it again. So I think it's important to just pick a few things that you can focus on and um, go from there. So big picture, we can look at movement. And I've talked about it before, but I'm a big proponent of the functional movement screen. So just looking how well you move. 
Now, this is one that you're going to have to go get a professional to watch you move to see if you are hitting those baselines and you can do things uh, to to a well enough extent. So uh, for that, you know, I've talked about that before. I'm not going to dive into that. Uh, you know, go to functionalmovement.com and you can search for somebody in your area to to take you through a, a movement screen. But I, I do think that's a great place to start and just kind of keep an eye on on those big movement patterns. But once we've decided that you can you can move to an acceptable level and we want to test on top of that, I think we should look at power. I think we should look at strength. I think we should look at muscular endurance. I think we should look at cardiorespiratory endurance. Uh, and I think we should look at grip. Now, within each of those, there's a lot of different things that we can look at. So I'm going to do my best to keep this simple, minimal equipment uh, for the most part, and things that you can easily do on your own or maybe with a partner just kind of helping you out for certain things. So um, just some guidelines. When you do your assessments, make sure you're safe. Make sure you're not doing anything that you shouldn't be doing. Um, you don't have any injuries that you might be making worse. And, uh, you know, just taking any safety precaution that you, you need to do before doing a one rep max or anything like that. So if you need spotters, if you need help, you know, make sure you you set yourself up for success and not not a disaster. Um, so let's start with power. Now, there's upper body, lower body that we want to do. I, I think uh, without using any significant technology, lower body, really simple thing we can do is a, a broad jump, and that's a good indicator of your lower body power performance. Um, sure, there's other things we can do. We can do med ball throws for upper body, but I just think real simple measuring your broad jump is a great place to start. Uh, when you do your broad jump, just make sure it's not a running start. You you know, make a start line, your toes are lined up to it, you jump as far as you can, you stick the landing, and you measure from that start line to the furthest point back. So if one foot's slightly ahead of the other, you measure the, the further back heel to the start line. Um, now, some of these assessments I'm gonna give you, I think it's good, a good starting point is just to do it. And then you have your baseline. Once you have your baseline, you're gonna measure again. You know, this could be in four, six, eight, 12 weeks. You know, you're gonna to have to see what's appropriate for you. And not that you have to test all of them, but maybe just test your weakest areas. So some of them, I'm just gonna say, test it. And just next time you test it, make sure you get better. And if you're getting better, you know what you did in between was pretty good. Um, if it didn't get better, either maybe you're very close to your potential and you're just not going to get much further or uh, what you did didn't help it get better. So that's uh, uh, some things to consider there. Uh, for the broad jump, one um, there is a specific number that you're trying to get, though. I think in general, you should be able to jump over your height at a minimum. So if you were six feet tall, your broad jump should be at least six feet. Um, again, I just think that's a good starting point for your lower body power. So if you're jumping less than your body height, this is a good indicator that you need to be increasing your lower body power exercises on a regular basis. Uh, if we move into muscular strength, um, this is typically where like one rep max testing is gonna be most popular. I, I don't do them a ton. Um, it's, you know, and it's, I, I think they're a great tool to use. It's more just the risk of, of doing it and things going wrong. You can do like three rep max and five rep max. And sometimes people are a little bit more comfortable with that because you're not lifting 
to where there's a good chance you won't be able to get back up or push the bar, whatever it might be. But a three rep max, a five five rep max, now you uh, know you're going to be able to get a few reps, and then you can use a formula to figure it out. And it may not be 100% accurate, but at least you'll get a good idea there. Um, but that's at least a good, uh, a, a couple good ways. But I, I'd like to focus on maybe some specific numbers to help you out here. Now, I don't want to reinvent the wheel here. Uh, Dan John, who is a very influential strength coach and author and speaker, uh, has worked with, I'm sure, thousands of, of high-level athletes. And he put out some strength standard, standards that I think are widely used um, and tested so uh, I'll put a link in the show notes on uh, for an article that kind of goes through all of his different recommendations for kind of his strength standards. Um, and I'll read through a few of them. Uh, so he kind of lists them out by, by category, like push, pull, hinge, squat, things like that. And then uh, kind of puts it as a game changer or just expected. Like what, so you get a little bit of a range here. So uh, for example, like uh, for men, uh, for um Bench press expected would be a, being able to do a body weight bench press. Game changer would be body weight bench press for 15 reps. Pull ups expected five pull ups. Game changer 15 pull ups. Deadlifts expected body weight to 150% body weight deadlift to a game changer double body weight deadlift. Uh, squat expected would be squatting your body weight. Game changer body weight squats for uh, 15 reps. Uh, he, he has some others like carries and get-ups too, uh, which we'll talk about um, for, for grip. Uh, and for women, kind of similar uh, numbers here. So we have our, our uh, game changer, body weight bench press, pull-ups, being able to do three pull-ups, hinge, uh, so deadlift 275 pounds, squat 135 pounds for five in the back squat. Um, so again, I, again, I'll put the link in so you can see all these numbers here, but just so you have... Uh, kind of a benchmark to shoot for that you can kind of hit some of these standards and then you can see if you're just way off of these numbers you know all right strength is my uh, main priority maybe you hit your height in the broad jump but you're falling short on all these numbers now we know where we can start focusing some of our effort and and hitting some of these strength goals so um, like I said if you trust yourself to do one rep maxes and test for some of these numbers just just be careful and be smart about how you implement it uh, so while that being muscular strength, we don't want to forget about muscular endurance because we're going to need, uh, our muscles to perform lots of reps in these races. So again, there's a couple different things that you can do. I'm a big fan of the cadence pushup test, and it's essentially, you're going to do as many pushups as you can, but the main difference is, uh, from just getting down and doing pushups is you're going to do it to a cadence. So you're going to set a metronome to 50 beats per minute and you are going at every beep you are going to hit the end point so at the first beep you're going to hit the bottom of a push-up at the second beep you hit the top third bottom and then you just keep going back and forth and you just count how many push-ups you can do maintaining that pace so it's not just get down and, and do a bunch of push-ups we're trying to keep the pace consistent because if you get down and did as much of push-ups and maybe you got 20 and the next time you got 25 do I really know you got more endurance or did you just get faster right so this is a way to kind of remove some of those variables so you know if you got 20 last time and 25 this time it was truly a measure of endurance and not maybe tempo or something along those lines so uh, you could do the same thing with squats and things like that I think 
sometimes with squats, you just you need to make sure you have um, a good range of motion, and you're going to be going for longer, most likely. Uh, so it just it's more time consuming. Um, but there's other ways you can measure lower body muscular endurance. I just think that that push up test is kind of a, a easy, simple. Um, effective way to measure at least upper body muscular endurance. But again, you can do it uh, lower body as well. Uh, grip obviously is going to be critical for these races. And there's a couple different ways we can measure grip. Uh, I mentioned carries. So doing uh, loaded carries is, is a great training tool, but it's also a great assessment. Uh, if we go back to Dan, Dan John's uh, measurements, he'll use for Loaded carries, the expected for men, farmers walk with uh, total body weight, so half of your weight in each hand. So if you weighed 200 pounds, you'd have 100 pounds in each hand. Uh, that's expected. Game changer would be body weight per hand. So that's getting pretty pretty heavy there. Uh, women would be uh, 85 pounds per hand he uses there. Uh, I like using uh, some type of percentage of body weight. Um, based off a lot of the information and research that uh, Functional Movement Systems has done with their FCS, uh, Fundamental Capacity Screen, they have found that the uh, kind of minimum capacity you should have for a loaded carry is holding 75% split between each hand, 75% of your body weight split between each hand, and being able to carry that with, with a good solid, solid posture um, not only uh, holding the weight, but being able to carry it for at least 90 seconds and at least 250 feet. So um, that should be kind of your baseline measurement. Now, when you do this with the loaded carries, it's really important that it, we're gonna do this with integrity. You're gonna make sure you have great posture and a solid grip. So if you're gonna measure your farmer's carry, make sure that you can walk with a, you know, a glass of water on top of your head or a book on top of your head. You'd have that kind of posture the entire time. As soon as we see your head shoot forward, your shoulders start to round and things like that, the test would actually end whether you drop the weight or not, right? Because we want to see how much you can load with a solid foundation, not just how much you can limp by and just manipulate to, to get an extra foot or two. So, um, and once we see that breakdown, really most likely you're not going to get that much further anyway. And if you do, you're dramatically increasing your risk for hurting yourself during this test, uh, which is obviously not something that we want to mess around with. So, uh, so rule number one is you have to have good posture. As soon as it breaks down, you put the weights down. Uh, the other thing is you have to keep that closed grip. So as soon as your hand opens or you have to adjust your grip, the test ends. So uh, a couple strict rules there, but um, really to, to keep you safe. And once you start making those little adjustments, you're on your way down and, and you're not going to last much longer anyway. So uh, yeah, so for grip, for carrying grip, um, our goal is uh, 90 seconds, 250 feet, uh, holding 75% of your body weight. Uh, the other grip measurement that we can do, again, super simple, are our hanging grip measurements. So... Of course, this is not just grip, but it does heavily rely on your support grip. Uh, but being able to do a flex arm hang where we are holding our uh, chin above a bar and a dead arm hang where we're just hanging there, uh, both using um, a pull-up grip, so where your uh, palms are facing away from you. And uh, with our flex arm hangs where your chin is above the bar, you should be shooting for a time of at least 30 seconds. And with our dead hang, you should be hitting a time of at least 60 seconds. 
Uh, so those are some pretty good numbers that you can, you can reach for. <clears throat> so our last thing that I want to talk about is your cardiorespiratory respiratory endurance. So we already talked about muscular endurance. Um, that's just how many reps a muscle or muscle group can, uh, can push against the resistance. Um, cardiorespiratory endurance is now measuring your heart and lungs, uh, the cardio cardiovascular system and the respiratory system. How well, how efficiently do they work together to supply energy, get rid of waste products and, and keep you moving. So, um, there are a couple different measurements that you can do for this. Uh, the, the most accurate would be to do some type of metabolic or VO2 max testing. Um, yes, it, it will involve a little bit of an investment, but I do think the information you get from this is very valuable. Uh, you know, usually it's probably going to cost from one to $200 to do the test. Um, and it, it is something you probably won't be checking, uh, so often, but maybe once a year to kind of see how your numbers are improving. Uh, that, that would be a, it's, it's simple, you know, not, not super expensive. Um, and really you can do a search, uh, for people in your area. Lots of colleges will do that and, and individuals and gyms and things like that will do it as well. Um, we do it at my studio, uh, Dan Chamberg, who I've had on the podcast before he, he, uh, does our VO2 max testing, which is just a, a helpful tool to have. Uh, but if you don't want to go that route, you can do things at home that's, that are really simple to at least estimate. And again, we're, we're basing it off of your numbers. So um, you can do it once. And as long as you do it consistently the next time, we can make sure we're measuring uh, progress there. So I wanted to share a, a formula, that one of the easiest formulas I've seen, although the formula looks confusing, but how you actually get the numbers is very simple, um, that I saw in the uh, uh, National Federation of Personal Trainers certification. And um, here's what all you have to do. So you're going to uh, warm up and then run a, a mile at a steady state, record your time, and then you're going to take your heart rate at the end of the mile, record that in beats per minute. Then you need to figure out your weight in kilograms, which is pounds divided by 2.2. And then you enter those numbers into formulas. So the formula for males, it is 108.844 minus your weight in kilograms times 0.163 minus the time for one mile times 0.1.438 minus heart rate at the end of the mile times 0.1928. Uh, I know that's a mouthful, so just go to the show notes so you can see this written out and try it for yourself. For females, it's actually the same exact formula, but it starts with the number uh, 100.5 and then the rest of, of that formula. But uh, again, if you don't want to get testing done, you can at least do something like this, get your heart rate, figure out your estimated VO2 max, and it might be a good starting point for you to term determine how your cardiorespiratory endurance is. So the important thing is you start by getting these numbers. So we looked at power, strength, muscular endurance, grip, cardiorespiratory endurance, and this is just our starting point. Now it'll either 
tell us where we're lacking and where we should focus our next phase of training, maybe more towards strength, more towards power, endurance, whatever it might be, maybe a little bit of everything. Um, so it, it's going to give us direction. And that's really where the value in doing these assessments is. You get a lot of information that you can use. And now when we implement our training, we want to see how we adapt. And we check that by assessing again. So once we feel that we've made progress, well, let's test it again. Again, maybe not all of them. Maybe it was just strength that you were lacking. And let's test our strength again and see if it got better. If it did, like I said, now you know what you've been doing is working and let's keep doing it until, and really let's keep doing it until it doesn't work. A lot of times we wanna change all this stuff up, but if something's working, don't mess with it. Just keep going with it and until it stops working and then you change something and, and start over and try again. And it becomes a little game that you're just gonna to have to keep manipulating these different variables and see how it can best help you. So I hope you got uh, a lot of it a lot of out of that and are, are going to try some of these assessments to see and really put your program to the test. All right, well, that's going to do it for episode 63. I know you got a lot of me this episode, so I hope you enjoyed it and got a lot to implement into your training plan. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Venga CBD. Don't forget, they are giving away a free uh, two free race entries and the recovery bomb. All you have to do is head on over to vengaendurance.com slash Spartan and enter to win. But hurry, the race is August 3rd and 4th. And I believe the uh, the uh, giveaway is over at the end of this month, July. So uh, get over there soon and uh, put an entry in. And speaking of the Ultra, uh, I am currently training for the Ultra Beast in October. And if you want to follow along with me and do my Ultra Beast training program, program uh, check out the Done For You program that I've created. That'll cover your running, your strength, your obstacle training, all that good stuff. Just head on over to ocrunderground.com slash ultra to get in on that. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, again, the show notes are located at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 63. I know you're going to have to go look up that formula, that ridiculous formula for calculating your VO2 max, um, but I will put it over there as well as everything else we talked about in this episode. That's it for now. I will talk to you guys soon.